everybody. This is episode 57 of And Now for Something Completely Machinima podcast. Uh, we do a, uh, every Thursday, we put out a new podcast that uh, focuses on machinima, which is uh, uh, films made inside of ga real-time game engines. Um, we're in our 50s now. This is episode 57. And we're going to be focusing on machinima news which is news about uh, films, about filmmakers, about technology, game-related technology, and all of that. Uh, I'd like to introduce my uh, two co-hosts, Damien Valentine. Hi, Damien. Hi, Ricky. Hello there. Uh, Damien is an established filmmaker with a great series that he's been working on on YouTube. And we also have Tracy Harwood. Hello, Tracy. Hi. How are you doing? Good. She's a scholar and uh, historian of uh, machinima and uh, related technologies. We're glad to have you here. Phil Rice is usually joining us, but um, he's uh, gone off to join the Foreign Legion, I think. In any event, he'll be he'll be back uh, with us when we do our films section, which is films that we collect. You can uh, contact us uh, through talk at uh, completelymachinima.com. We welcome your comments. We welcome your ideas. And with that, I'll go to uh, the news that I have today. Okay. So starting off, I'd like to talk a little bit about uh, uh, NVIDIA's Omniverse um, uh, creation. Uh, we've been talking about that for the last several months. And uh, uh, this last uh, several weeks, there have been two interesting developments. Uh, one is, is that NVIDIA has released a new app called Omniverse Code, and it allows developers to write their own code in Omniverse. You can build your own tools. You, the app is, includes the Omniverse Kit SDK templates and documentation. Uh, it looks to be very promising. It's not really a mod. It's more of a, uh, a tool for people to build applications to to take their application, for example, say uh, Silo, the uh, 3D application, um, it allows the developers of Silo to take the NVIDIA SDK and convert it to an app so that you can use Silo inside of NVIDIA Omniverse. So it's a way for uh, developers of applications and and things like that to bring their product into Omniverse. And the second is a really interesting series that um, NVIDIA has, has uh, created called Meet the Creators or the Omniverse uh, Creators. And uh, or I think they call them omnivores. <laughs> and this article is from Imagination to Animation, How an Omniverse Creator Makes Films Virtually. Now they say virtually because that's the term they choose to use but it's how a filmmaker makes machinima basically and they're focusing on a filmmaker named jay selena he has a youtube channel called js films spelled with a z at the end and uh he uses his channel to showcase his machinima and he talks about his workflow for how to use omniverse to create uh, machinima and his films. It's a very informative and somewhat short um, uh, uh, documentary. And uh, I liked it a lot. And if you're interested in Omniverse, it's a good way to start learning about it. 
the second little piece that I have in my news is um, a couple little pieces. One is, is that I read that a 16-year-old Russian game player was sentenced to five years in prison for blowing up the KGB's virtual building in Minecraft. And I have a very capitalized WTF question mark. What the hell? I mean, you blow up something in a virtual world. I could see maybe at most somebody might come and talk to you and say, what are you doing, kid? But sentence him to five years. Jesus Christ, I'm so glad I live in America. So uh, if you're in Russia, be careful about what you do in Minecraft or any other games. Um, the next thing I have is I, I came across an interesting um, application that's machinima related called Backlot. Uh, I saw it on a Facebook page. It uh, was mentioned as being something like Movie Storm. So I thought I'd give it a try, you know, thinking that I could go over, download the demo, check it out and come up with a report for you guys. So I went to the website and it's a very professional website and uh, they have a seven day free trial, which I thought was pretty skimpy on their part. A 30 day trial is the best thing, even a 14 day trial, but seven days. And then I figured out why they have a seven day trial, because when you sign up for the trial, you have to provide your credit card. And you have to cancel within seven days or they charge you their standard monthly fee of $30. That's why they have a seven-day free trial, because a lot of people will forget they'll get charged $30 and too bad. That's not a friendly way to encourage people to use your program. There's no reason to ask for a credit card that makes their website suspicious. Pass on Backlot Filmmaker, despite it looking good. Don't join it. You have and to be intrigued by it by the end, up until that yeah. point where you said about putting the credit card. I think, yeah, I'm staying away from that. Yeah, get out of here. For a demo, you shouldn't have to provide your credit card. Not at all. It's a fair exchange to offer your email address, but uh, credit card and then have it cancel within seven days, you get charged automatically. Yeah, and you can't opt out of that agreement. That's what the agreement. So screw you back lot uh and the last piece i have is the best games for the m1 mac i bought an m1 mac back in november and i'm really really happy with it um you have to remember the m1 is uh apple's um combination uh graphics card and cpu it's extremely powerful and i've often thought that since mac has uh, uh been lagging behind in, in game playing um Hence, not a lot of machinima done on Mac, maybe post-production, but actual production, not so much on Macs. I thought with this new improved uh, GPU, they'd be able to uh, um, do more machinima on it. So I thought about some of the games on Mac, and I, I found, came across a really interesting article. Um, it's a video on YouTube created by Tyler Stallman. He is a really interesting guy, and he's really good speaker. His presentations are, are excellent. I subscribe to him immediately. And he went through some games that are really interesting to him on uh, M1. And they include Firewatch, Pathless, and, of course, Inside. Not a lot of the contemporary games are on there because um, I check some other places, and you can do a couple GTAs and things like that, but... Eh, the graphics uh, component in the Apple is still not quite up to speed for the uh, 
triple a games like that but the smaller ones you can do it like firewatch and inside um also another downside to m1 gaming is that the fan kicks in pretty quickly um playing a game um and and the noise is pretty big it, now of course you can play with headphones uh, and record with headphones it's no big deal but that is something to be concerned about overheating uh, since the uh, uh, mac and mac uh, macbook pro is not a a, a game-based uh, creation i don't think there have been too many studies about the overheating with games but in any event i think it's worth a try I, i'm going to try some of it uh, during the course of the year and i'll share with my uh, my results there uh, that's my news for today. So uh, let's uh, go on over to Damien and uh, see what sort of news Damien has. Damien? All right. Thank you, Ricky. Mm -hmm. So um, first thing I found was uh, it's a video by a YouTube creator that I discovered about a year ago. She's a singer. She produces lots of music videos. Uh, and she's very talented. Uh, so a few days ago, she released a video talking about her home studio setup. And I watched it and it was very interesting. And I thought this is actually, even though she's talking about producing music, what she's talking about is her sound setup. And she lives in New York, which is obviously a very noisy city. And she talks about how she um, blocks out that noise, doesn't disturb the neighbors, the equipment that she uses to record the sound. I thought, well, anyone who's getting into machine work, this is gonna be helpful to them because it's the same, sound is obviously a very important part of machinima. So you, what she talks about is very useful for voice recording. If you're a machinima creator who also composes and produces your own soundtracks for your films, again, it's worth having a listen to, uh, having a watch of her video. Um, she talks about various uh, microphones and how she got started and what she uses now and other, all this other technical equipment, which I'm sure Ricky would be better able to explain than I can. <laughs> um, so I just thought, oh, this is helpful to anyone. She talks about video as well and like um, green screens and that kind of stuff she uses for music videos. So if if you're watching, listening to us now and you're thinking about streaming, that's also a good thing to have in mind for um, streaming as well. So I thought, well, this is a very helpful guide and uh, I thought I'll share it with our listeners and I uh, hope you find it really helpful. Yeah, I liked it. I thought it was really good. Yeah. And um, the other bits of news I've got uh today is the um nvidia are doing a conference on ai now it's going to be towards the end of march it's on the 21st to 24th and they're talking about how ai is being used in um their various products like omniverse now I, obviously i don't know what their content of their presentation is going to be yet but uh, as we've been following omniverse quite uh rigorously for the last year or so since we discovered it existed. Um, I think it'd be worth checking out the conference and seeing what, what it, um, it's about. And I, I'm guessing they're going to talk a bit about how, so last night I talked about how they're using Omniverse to train self-driving cars. So I imagine that's going to get um, some coverage, which I'm, it doesn't really relate to Machinima, but I'm still quite intrigued by how this 3D rendering platform is, going, is used to, to do that. Um, just out of curiosity, but I imagine they'll be talking about um, other AI related tools for Omniverse and right. Canvas or the, the other, you know, that 2D painting thing that they've been 
uh -huh. playing around with. So I think that's worth checking out. And you'll find the links to that in the um, show notes below. Right. It's a free conference. Yes. I've gone to it many times and it's well worth your time. Well, that's my news for the week. Thank you, Damien. Now let's move on to Tracy. Tracy always has great news. The best. She always has the best news. So let's Ooh. see what you come up with this week. <laughs> Such a smoothie, Ricky. Such a smoothie. It's true. It's true. I, I don't know if you heard the bleep, bleep, bleep on my phone, but that's Phil texting us <laughs> <laughs> from his uh, football games. <laughs> ah. Have a nice evening, he's saying. Um, okay, so uh, I've got three smallish pieces of news, but probably with fairly big consequences. And the first one I wanted to talk to you about is, um, you know, in recent weeks, we've seen a number of game publishers converge into the ownership of just a few organisations. <laughs> and the latest announcement is that of Microsoft. And that's Phil again. <laughs> How are you getting our messages? He's saying now. Um, <laughs> uh, the latest announcement is that of Microsoft, um, which is planning to buy Activision Blizzard, which includes games such as Call of Duty, Warcraft and Overwatch. Right. Uh, and this follows its purchase last year of, of um, Bethesda. Now, their rationale, of course, is that these are the building blocks for their version of the metaverse. And, um, you know, the old adage, there can be no metaverse without content. Um, what I think is interesting here is their strategy really is to get those games onto their Netflix-like subscriber service. And what has surprised folks um, with their last purchase was that games such as Fallout and Skyrim would still be um, available on platforms other than those owned by Microsoft. But that has actually proven not to be the case. So the question now is, therefore... Um, with these additional games expected, um, I mean, are these um, additional games expected to go the same way? And what tools will they be making available for indie content creators to continue to work with once they tie down these titles to their Xbox and PC game passes? Now, I guess we're going to have to wait and see, but it feels like creators are really the last folks on their minds at this juncture. Yeah, exactly what I thought. Uh, and yet, you know, um, they were the very ones that helped these developers push the story world into new directions. So I'm quite concerned about this. I, I, I'm guessing um, Ricky and, and Phil and Damien um, will be equally as concerned when we see how this unfolds. I think it's yeah, definitely yeah. one to watch. Yeah. So that's my first piece, um, a different, slightly different take on how these games are converging. Right. Um, the second piece of news uh, is in terms of Second Life. Now, we're all now seeing, um, uh, you know, many, many comparisons in news stories and video reports between, um, you know, the current attempts by numerous others, I have to say, to build their versions of the metaverse um, and draw lessons from um, Linden Lab's experience over the last, uh, what was it, 19 years since Second Life began? 18. Um, 18 years, is it? Okay. Uh, so, of all of the things published recently, I think uh, you can probably do no worse than listen to Philip Rosedale and um, Wagner James Au on a recent podcast that they've released um, about transforming the future of Second Life and making a more humane metaverse. Hmm. Um, in, in their January episode, they talk about some fascinating considerations for creating virtual worlds that can be navigated as a single space. Most of these are not single spaces. Most of these are other worlds that are being created and not being thought about necessarily in that way. 
Um, they also talk about just how much detail is needed to make a world feel real, um, how you might deal with griefers and monetizing engagements, what the development of um, currency, or, you know, what direction that takes you in, and the role of um, the virtual aesthetic. I think probably the only aspect they don't really touch upon is the role of machinima in documenting what goes on, um, which of course, you know, is a massive part of the content yep. that we see these days. Yep. Yep. Not just from Second Life, of course, but from every other <clears throat> virtual open world. It's huge. Um, and not a lot of folks are talking about that. Now, we'll put a link into um, the podcast on uh, and on our, in our show notes um, uh, to that um, particular episode. Uh, and I suggest you have a listen to it. It's quite compelling, of course, because Philip was the founder of Second Life and Wagner James Al, of course, worked for Linden Labs in those early days. Um, ever since which he's hosted a blog, really interesting blog, actually called Great New World blog. Notes. Yeah. Um, and in 2008, he also published the book, the making of second life uh and i, I would it's a great book yeah um i dare say a few of the current incumbents into this metaverse environment might do well to actually invest in some of those early resources yeah and i'm not sure they are doing so I'll that's my comment be sure to sure to listen to that that sounds mm. like a fascinating podcast it's a really interesting podcast definitely recommend that and then finally my final bit of news today is tm underground um, which, you know, uh, all of us will know was a, um, a site that was home to many of the machinima community since 2008, has now finally gone offline. Um, and this, of course, follows the passing of its founder, Ken White, which we reported on in our August 21 news episode. Um, and what's nice here is that Eden McKenzie has written a really wonderful commemorative piece of music, which he's published oh, great. on SoundCloud. Uh, so this is not a piece of machinima news as such, but it is a beautiful composition which celebrates the community and all its achievements. Uh, the piece is called A Fond Farewell, and it really is beautifully evocative. Um, it's a piece through which um, Eden describes what TM Underground meant to him. And actually, I think it uh, probably will resonate with many in the community. So yeah. well said, Eden. Yeah. Um, and we'll include a, a link in the show notes. And that's it for me. TMU was, uh, I, I believe, stood for the movies underground and was established uh, when the movies came out back in what, 98, was it? Uh, uh, when it when the movies was launched. Right. I, I think it was about back in 2004. Actually, oh, Jesus, I'm way off. Yeah. It was anyway. definitely in, you know, um, Peter Molyneux um, definitely talked about it many, right. many years before. So you probably remember that kind of conversation back in the yeah. late 90s but it didn't actually come to fruition until I, uh, uh, well one of the first films to come out from it was the french democracy which was right. made within a few days of it being launched and i think that was a 2005 film so yeah, yeah. it's 2005 <clears throat> that it was actually launched and then it ran until 2008 i think when it was switched off and and you're right this is where TM Underground came from. Yeah. And uh, so it was a repository for the movies initially, but then it became wider and uh, it appealed to the uh, machinima community in general. Um, I'm really sad to see it go. I understand why it's gone. Yeah. Uh, oftentimes, uh, 
things like this are are driven by the passions of an individual or a group of people and once they have moved on to something else or uh, someone dies or becomes involved in another job it all falls away and um, i'm sorry to hear that i understand it it's inevitable but i just want to thank all of the people involved with tmu underground for caring so much about machinima and the machinima community enough to start a, a depository and a repository for films and to keep it up for as long as they did thank you yes um, anybody yeah. listening uh, you so. can still find bits of it not mm. not all the links to the films i'm afraid i did check it out um, earlier today in fact you can still um find the site on the wayback machine that's um, at archive.org yeah. wave wave wayback machine that's good yeah. yeah well thank you i thought we'd uh, segue in the very last bit of our uh, news section um uh, as a segue into our films section, which comes next, we're going to be focusing on films made in the virtual uh, metaverse now of Second Life. And I thought it would be interesting to do just a brief discussion of Second Life as a way to get us in the mood and uh, thinking about them. And um, I was involved in Second Life for some time. We did uh, a, a Machinima Film Festival there for some time. So I had met a lot of people and, and worked with the technology there. Um, and then for some reason, I, I moved away from it. I don't know why. Uh, it'd be an interesting thing to explore uh, because I think some other people like Tracy and maybe Damien, I know Phil left uh, Second Life there. So it'd be interesting to find out why. But I do wanted to talk a little bit about what Second Life is, um, how it is survived for 18 years uh, to come to a point where it's thriving now with the whole uh, promotion of the metaverse. Um, Second Life was uh, is poised to reap benefits of all of that attention. But uh, I think uh, the main reason that Second Life has survived and has done so well is money. Um, it has 600 million annual gross domestic product. Two billion user generated assets have been created to date. It has 200,000 daily active users, and it processes more than 345 million annual transactions. And get this, it pays more than $80.4 million to creators annually. I wow. think that I think that says a lot about um, why <laughs> Second Life has stayed alive for so long, because it's a way for people to make a living, a way for people to make money. We like to see, think of it sort of sentimentally as, oh, well, it's a great place to be free and, and you know, and we can create art and do all this stuff. But there's a lot of money to be made in this. And one thing that you won't hear on a Phil uh, Rosedale Wagner out podcast is the sex aspects of Second Life. Um, there's a huge wall that separates people from the regular Second Life from the area where sex workers uh, are, are. And it's big. It's a really big deal. And uh, a lot of money is made that way uh, for virtual sex. Something they don't want to talk about because of the bizarre morality of a American and American interests, middle-class interests. But that's the main reason why I think it 
um, has survived. What do you guys think? Yeah, I remember spending a lot of time exploring Second Life, and there are so many places you can go where there's stores set up and people are selling their creations, like costumes that you can wear or um, props that you can carry around or buildings you can put on your own lands, even vehicles you can get in and drive around or fly around right. in. Mm-hmm. I mean, it would be no surprise that I was quite interested in finding spaceships I could get in and fly around in. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I even had a, I found an area that was, I don't know if it's still there now, but they had, they're obviously big Doctor Who fans. So they recreated the Cardiff Bay area from the real city, which was used oh. a lot for filming. And because um, I've lived near there, I w- went and had a look around and I said, well, I've been to the real place and what you guys have done is so accurate to the real place. And they were very happy to know that. And you could go in, you could buy all these Doctor Who um, related things that people have created. So I bought a TARDIS, which you could sit in and you press the button, it would dematerialize just like the show. And then it could make it randomly take you to other parts of Second Life. <laughs> so that was That's a good great. way to explore uh, yeah. in a way that is on theme for something I enjoyed as well. Yes, yeah. Yeah, so Second Life also um, uh, rents uh, land and yeah. uh, buildings. I know that when I joined um, Kali back in uh, 2008, 2009, something like that, I um, probably spent over $100 in the first month just buying clothing, buildings, getting a uh, house at a certain place, filling the house with furniture that I liked and buying hair and going shopping and all of that. In fact, that was one of the most fun things is I got together with somebody I met on Second Life and they took me on a shopping trip to all the places that they liked. And you go into these stores that are open 24-7 virtually and you go in and you look and you just buy you find something you like and you bang bang it's right in your inventory in fact by the end of the first year my inventory was hopeless snarled with purchases that i just completely disorganized you know it was like you had a big room and you threw all your stuff in it <laughs> and exactly. a, lot, a lot of these sellers they give away free stuff as well so you get a taste of some of their early creations or something yeah. they just want to so you can just go around and collecting all this free stuff and again your inventory is filled up with all these things that you've collected and then yeah what do you do with them that's a that's an interesting thing i mean yeah i i like you ricky i i can't how did i get into it well we i got into it a little bit before you i think um because we were exploring it at, at my work as a potential you know we bought an island and we were going to um uh, use it as a kind of um a sandbox environment with students um, with a view to doing some, you know, interesting virtual um, teaching experiences in there. Well, we had a few folks sort of playing around with it and it kind of quickly died out as a, as a sort of a, a classroom environment because of course what we were trying to do in many ways was replicate what we do offline. Yeah. And, <laughs> and, you know, during that kind of period, there was a lot of folks going in there and doing stuff, which was basically doing the same as you would do in real life. And it, you know, it was just, it wasn't really pushing the boundaries of it, I think. Um, right. So, you know, there were a lot of brands in there. I remember um, 
you know, uh, brands like uh, IBM, I think was in there and, and Harley Davidson and whatnot. And they were just, you know, creating a virtual assets of their physical assets. And uh, why? I don't know. I don't yeah, know. exactly. Yeah. Um, so that was, uh, you know, that that didn't last very long. But what I did used to enjoy is, um, you know, going around. I, um, I mean, Chantal uh, Harvey was a was a, a, a real good um, friend in this space. Um, she'd been in there for years and years. Yeah. And she showed me around and we went shopping. She showed me, you know, all, all the all the kind of good places to go and get stuff. Well, you know, primarily the reason we were doing that was because we wanted to, um, uh, you know, do do sort of presentations where we were doing the presentation simultaneously in, in the virtual space. Right. I remember one such space where we were doing it both in the virtual space and I was in the physical space and, you know, my avatar was doing stuff in the, in the virtual space along with, with hers and what have you and you know so we had to get dressed up and, and what have you and what was quite fun about that was not that you you weren't just dressing it in clothes you would you were um you know changing its shape or the way it moved or how it how it sat down or if it could dance and you know all of those yeah. things I thought were really kind of fascinating things that you could um add uh, as as character features, if you like, to your to your avatar, which kind of made it more kind of more interesting, really. And this yeah. sort of social aspect of it, the fact that you were doing that with a friend was right. was was really you know we had such a laugh. In fact, last year when we did um, a recording in um, uh, in one of Chantel's meetup groups, Machinima um, Monday's meetup group, which remains the longest um, standing community group doing Machinima type stuff in second life right. um you know we we had a, a a bit of a meetup beforehand and we went through some of the space and we we were having just a real good laugh about you know how the avatar's working and, and uh you know some of the things that you can do with it and can't do with it and what have you so that that i thought was really interesting the other aspect is um to do you know more recently i think to do with using it for virtual events and virtual activities Right. And, you know, with a, if we think about the last couple of years, it's been incredibly difficult to do social stuff in real life. Um, and, you know, I think one of the reasons it's been growing again in the last couple of years is because because of what's been going on in real life. And people have wanted to sort of meet folks in social yeah. settings yeah. again. Yeah. Um, so, you know, there's some you know, some great kind of um, destination things that you can kind of go and do right. in that. So in that timing space. to some extent is what. Yeah. Uh, second like life everything else. benefits. Yeah. yeah. Like everything else, I think, you know, like, like the growth of Zoom, for example, like the growth of Omniverse, mm -hmm. uh, all of really, all of it really is, you know, it probably would have been a slow, steady growth towards that. But the fact is that because of the pandemic COVID. has accelerated the adoption of that right. sort of stuff. No, uh, it's and, my God. Go ahead. Well, I was going to say, and that's probably why there are a lot of other organizations now interested in the metaverse too. Yeah, that's true. Uh, one thing I think happened uh, that caused Second Life to decline a bit and go out of the uh, sort of zeitgeist was that um, I believe 
Second Life preceded Facebook. And I believe Facebook yes. came out just after the height of Second Life's popularity. And I think it provided a better way for people to do social interactions. That's correct. Um, because one of the problems that you have with Second Life is simply the difficulty of access and control. That's why they have a beginner's area where you you start out in a sort of play box area where you learn how to do controls and stuff. But even so, it was um, it took me a month or so to, to 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 become comfortable with how to how to contact people, how to go from place to place, how to move, how to how to how to do messaging to people, how to record, how to get things that you bought onto your avatar. Um, it's a and very I think the interface. It, it is. And I think that was something that I hope that they'll address in the future because they haven't done much to address it. It's still it's still not easy to use, I think. Yeah. I mean, and Facebook provided a way that you could just do it like that. Yeah. I mean it was perfect. It was like a a a, a, a blog or a a website where you could just drop and drag and move and and I, and I think that was one of the things that pulled people away from Second Life. I wouldn't. Um, I wouldn't have compared those two things um, or put them together because you know Facebook is more asynchronous um, and more about the real you, hmm. and and Second Life was all about creating a, a another persona, a multi you, right. <laughs> Or an extended you. Well, I was thinking more of the uh, uh, social interactions. Yeah. yeah. Rather than the, because the people that wanted to stay in Second Life because they liked the avatar uh, concept and the another you concept, they stayed. You yeah. Know? And, and I also think one thing that, that Facebook didn't have that Second Life has and still has to a great abundance is its appeal to the artistic and uh, freedom loving people who want to create things yeah uh, whether they're creating art or whether they're creating architecture or land or for example the people that did the doctor who thing yeah what a great project you get a bunch of people who are fans of doctor who and they say we're going to recreate this thing and it becomes this driving force in their lives so that they uh, share their creativity and facebook makes that once you get past the hump of the interface and how to change things and how to model and all that, and you get good at it, you can create some pretty amazing things, you know? In fact, quite a bit of, of, of um, I'm getting ahead of myself here, but I'll, I'll try not to do too much. Um, one of the things that you see a lot in, in uh, Second Life Machinima is documentaries of installations yeah. or locations, yeah. uh, which I think is fascinating, you know? Mm -hmm. It's, you know, that, that has given Machinima a whole, uh, um, you know, it's a whole different world of Machinima for, for something like Second Life, where you're documenting that um, virtual experience. Yeah, yeah. Um, there is no other way. You know, Machinima, you have to use Machinima. Whether yeah. you're, you know, when you're taking a photograph to position whatever it is you're doing, like in a, in a virtual studio, or to create... Um, you know, a fly through of an installation or an experience or, mm -hmm. or whatever you're doing. Machinima is the only way to do it. Yeah. Um, so, so there is a real 
you know, it plays a really important role there. It does. And um, so some of the questions we're going to be asking in the films version, which is coming up is um, every game, the idea that every game creates a world for the player uh, to be involved in. So what's unique about Second Life? What are the visuals and places in Second Life that, that inspire filmmakers to create films in them? And how is Second Life filmmaking different from Half-Life 2 filmmaking or Grand Theft Auto filmmaking? And what are the benefits of shooting in Second Life, creating a movie in Second Life, as opposed to creating a movie in Minecraft? Um, and those are some of the questions that we're going to be asking uh, as we go through our film choices, um, all of which will be Second Life Machinima uh, in our film section coming up next. Uh, and I hope you will join us uh, in the Thursday after this one. Uh, we're we're pre-recording this, so uh, this will be in uh, March, uh, the Thursday after, uh, to see what films we come up with. Phil will join us. He's come up with some interesting films, and I'm really excited to talk about the films that uh, Tracy and Damien have come up with and to talk about f uh, filmmaking and machinima in Second Life in general. So that's our show today for you. Thank you so much for watching. I really enjoyed sharing the news with my pals here. Um, we're gonna we're basically a podcast, so you'll get the audio version of this at Transistor. Um, but you can go to that's our provider. But you can go to completelymachinima.com to see all of the episodes, all the way back to number one. You can also subscribe through any major service, Apple. Google, all the others, and uh, you can send us an email at talk at completelymachinima.com. We'd love to hear your comments about Second Life, especially people who create films in Second Life, your ideas on some of the news that we uh, have today. And with that, um, oh, well, the last thing is make sure you, we're doing the video version of uh, our, our podcast, and that's on our Completely Machinima YouTube channel. And we're trying something different this week. We're using Zoom as a way of uh, recording our video. So we'll see how that turns out. But thanks for tuning in. Uh, we'll see you next time. And uh, hey, guys, thanks for sharing your news with me. Welcome. Thank you. See you next time. All right. We'll Bye. see you. Bye-bye.